Well, as, uh, as we do every week, it's always a privilege to be able to worship uh, with you today. And uh, if you're a guest here at Providence, or um, we want to welcome you here, if you're uh, uh, at home on live stream, or if you're in the amphitheater, uh, just uh, we're so glad that uh, you are here with us as well. Uh, if you uh, brought with you a Bible, I want to ask you to turn with me uh, to the very first page of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1. Um, we are going to come out of John uh, this Mother's Day and, uh, uh, and look very specifically at uh, the essential beauty of womanhood. Um, I think it's uh, incredibly important. And to do that, we're going to actually look at three different passages. The first one is the first page of the Bible. The second passage will be the fifth chapter of Ephesians. And then the third passage will be Proverbs chapter 31. And so, um, uh, with that in mind, uh, I just want to say that every woman who's in this room, whether you're married uh, or single, whether you have children or not, um, to every woman whose charm and whose beauty is being surpassed and outpaced uh, by your growing fear of the Lord, we uh, rise up and call you blessed. We, uh, and we call ourselves blessed. We are grateful for you. We want to obey the scriptures that says that a woman who does that and who lives that way should be praised. And so we want to do that today. And on this Mother's Day, which, um, which really can kind of stir up just a range of emotions uh, uh, in our hearts. Uh, not everyone uh, is feeling the same way that you are today about Mother's Day. For, for some of us in the room, there's just a feeling of just gratitude that wells up in our heart when we think about our mother or when you as a mother think about your children and you just, this day uh, just, just has um, gratitude uh, written all over your heart. For others in this room, it's grief, Uh, grief perhaps of uh, someone, a mom that you lost, perhaps, or uh, or for some, just that tension in the heart of grief of uh, of not having your own uh, kids. And and so we certainly recognize this. And what I want to ask you to do is wherever you fall within your heart and that range of emotions on this Mother's Day, I want to encourage you to leverage those emotions into fuel that will propel you forward to lean towards God and not away from God and to hear what he would have to tell us in his word about the essential beauty of womanhood. Now, I tell you right now, from the beginning, it's going to take an enormous amount of focus on your part. Um, much like uh, I experienced several years ago. About three years ago, uh, we were driving down to the farm in Georgia, and there was, at the very moment that we needed to travel, there was a Final Four basketball game that I wanted to see. I couldn't see it, and so I was bound to, to, uh, to the car radio. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's not that many uh, radio towers at the farm, and so the further we drove away from radio towers and the closer we got to our destination, the more difficult it became to hear. And the more I had to focus on every single word that seemed to be crackling under the impression of all of the static that was on the radio. And what I want to encourage us to do here this morning is this. I'm going to ask us to pray that God would literally focus our attention and focus our hearts so that we could hear his voice amidst the static that is just coursing through our culture today as it relates to anything gender or sexuality. I feel like in some ways that I have the opportunity for 30 minutes to pour one bucket of fresh water into the ocean and hope that it has effect. But the good news is Isaiah tells me it does. 
He says that the power of the word of God goes out and does its work. And so I'm hopeful, but I'm not hopeful in me. I'm hopeful in the power of God's spirit. So let's pray to him now, okay? Father in heaven, we look to you. You are the one who's created womanhood and you told us within the pages of scripture why. And so we ask God that you would give us clarity, that you would help us to believe what we read, that you would help us to understand it, to apply it to our life. And God, we pray that you would speak through weakness now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a unique question that's asked in Song of Solomon, chapter six, verse 10. And that question is this. He says, who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon and bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? And the answer to this question is a woman. It's a woman. Who but God could create something as strong as an army that's arrayed for battle and yet at the very same time having the beauty as blinding as the sun? Only God can do this. But what I want to encourage you this morning as we prepare to read this first text is that God is not calling you ladies to be a woman that culminates in you being a woman. The mission of God is not for men to be men and for women to be women. There is a mission of God and his mission that we see through the pages of scripture is that he wants to be known, is that he wants his glory to be seen and felt throughout the entire earth that all people would understand his, uh, his nature and his character and who he is, that he loves us. He wants to be known. And what I want to show you this morning is how womanhood was intentionally designed to help fulfill this mission. Here in a few weeks when we get to Father's Day, we'll look at men. But here, the first principle I want you to see here is this, is that womanhood is essential to understanding God. Now let's read what he says, starting in verse 21 of chapter 1, there in Genesis. Verse 21 says, So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Womanhood is essential to understanding God. What we're told here, even though we kind of burst in on day five, is that God created all things, but not all things were created equally. We're told here that the animals, in fact, if you back all the way up to verse 11, we're told the plants, all the vegetation falls into the same 
same category. And that is that the fish and the plants and all of the animals, that they were all created according to their kind, but human beings were created according to his kind. We were created in his image. And what this means is this, is that God made things so that if you and I look at a calf, we learn something about a cow. But if you and I look at a human being, we learn something about God. Is that God in his mission is to be known. And so he began creating people. And these people are image bearers of God. You see, in his amazing wisdom, God created two kinds of human beings, a male kind and a female kind, each with distinct gifts, able to supplement the other's ability to showcase something about God. And so the Bible tells us that God began with a man. He created man first. And so he created masculinity. And there was something that masculinity as an image bearer of God was supposed to tell us about God so that if people look at the innate abilities that God has instilled upon the general course, the general average of man is that we learn something about God. And we'll look at these later on. But clearly when God, who is behind this picture frame of masculinity, There's simply more to him than the men in this room can tell. And so what God did was he created another kind. Similar, still created in the image of God, but very, very different from the man. Two different kinds, both intended to display and showcase something of his glory. Something of his character. The whole point of womanhood does not terminate in you. It terminates in us seeing something about God through you. And so what does this picture frame of femininity tell us about God? Well, if you just look at the collective average of women, what we are told is that by looking at the woman, that we see something more clear about God's amazing compassion, his gentleness, his ability to nurture the young and the hurting and the old. We see something through the frame of femininity about God's mercy, God's compassion, God's sympathy, God's patience, God's meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is tremendous strength It's been bridled, so it's under control. We see this played out in life much more through femininity than masculinity. Within man, who's God made strong throughout the New Testament, the one command it seems that he gives to men is just try to be self-controlled. But to a woman, what we see is something of the complexity of God's meekness, that he has all the strength in the world, and yet it's under control. There's a, there's a beauty, there's a simplicity that you see in God when you look at a woman. We see his carefulness. I mean, most of us know this. If we see a video of a bunch of people that are wrecking in some stunt show, we are more inclined to believe that when there's a helmet over the head, then what's underneath that helmet is a male brain instead of a female brain. 
right? It, it just happens that way. It's typically more risking. But to a woman, what we see is God's careful wisdom. We see God's amazing desire to use words to communicate. This is an amazing thing that you need to understand. When God chose to tell us about the box that was called the Holy of Holies, he spent pages doing that. If it was me, I'd say, well, there's a box, right? Most of you think, I bet Tabitha, she just, like, he talks so long on Sunday. He must just talk all the time. No, you, you get about all the words every week that I have, right? I, this is the third time this morning. I'm almost out, right? And so she, she's the one who loves to communicate, use words so that we can connect. I use words so that we can continue. There's something about a woman that God wanted us to tell about himself. And what's interesting is God went beyond creating women differently. He also instructed women differently. You look at the pages of scripture and many of the commands are given to us as to, to, to the whole church, everybody, all believers. But there are particular times when God literally zeroes in on masculinity or femininity and addresses the man or the woman separately. And I want to show you one of these for the women. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, Do not let your adorning, ladies, be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, there's a lot of us, in particular those of us who believe that personhood and sexuality terminates with ourself. And if you do passages like this and others where he's addressing men and women to do certain things that he's not telling the other one to do, we look at that and we think, well, that's not, un- that's not fair. Something's wrong with that. But have you ever considered that every time God gives you an instruction as a woman, he's hoping for the obedience to literally be a display of his character? Have you ever thought that by obeying this passage, He's trying to tell the world that he has a gentle and quiet spirit. And so he gives women an instruction in order to display that to the whole world. And so the application of this first point, Providence, is let's esteem biblical womanhood as a means to know God. This is an amazing thing. Ladies, I beg you to believe God at his word. I beg you to push through the static in our culture and hear the voice of God that says, this is the way. Walk in it. We as a body of believers are literally counting on you to display femininity. For if we ever lose sight of it in you, we are bound to lose part of our sight of God. All of this terminates And us knowing him, it's all about him. So the first thing is that God has created womanhood to help us to understand him. The the second truth comes from Ephesians chapter five. And that's this is that womanhood is essential to glorifying Jesus in the gospel. Now, this is a remarkable thing. I've already told you that God is on a mission to be known. 
But if you took that mission and you put it under a microscope and you zoomed in all the way down to the very tip of the spear, what we are told is that God's mission primarily is to display the glory of Jesus Christ in redeeming a sinful people and making them his pure bride. And that's exactly what we find here in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read it together, starting in verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. If your gender boils down to an exploration of yourself that terminates on yourself, then this passage is going to give you fits. You're not going to like the verbs and the instructions here. But you have to understand that if you have eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ enough to where verse 21 becomes an actuality in your life, and that is that you want to submit to him because you've seen his glory and his brilliance and his grace and his power over all things. And if you see that everything that he's instructing here doesn't terminate on just a better marriage or a happier home, but it terminates on people seeing something about God and giving glory to Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden you have a fuel that propels you forward. So many people look at this and they resent this passage, even though it represents one of the most significant and encouraging truths that your soul needs. And that is the thought that Jesus Christ came out of heaven to earth in order to take a sinful people, to die for them, to be buried, and then to rise from the dead in order that everyone who believes upon Jesus, that he would take away their sin, give them his righteousness, and make out of a sinful people a pure, undefiled bride. That he can make us right with him. In this whole passage, literally, we should go home singing that Jesus gave himself up for us, that he might sanctify us, having cleansed us by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. This is what he desires in each and every one of our lives. Now, what's interesting is he wants this news to reach the nations. Hear this. 
His aim is not just your happy home. His aim is to be known. And so what we find here is that some people look at all this and they think, well, this is, this is cute. Jesus comes, he dies, he rises again, and then God looks upon the earth and he says, now what can I use as an illustration to remind people and tell people about Jesus and his church? Kind of like my sermons, right? On Thursday, I normally write the content of the sermon. And then what I do on Friday and Saturday is I take long walks and I spend my quiet time just thinking and, of illustrations. How can I help them to see this? That's not what God did. He didn't write the content of redemption and then go, now, how can I illustrate this for people so they can see this really well? No, what we're told here is that immediately after God created the woman in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. But in Ephesians 5, the passage we read, the Apostle Paul literally takes this verse out and he places it and he quotes it within his own letter in verse 31. And then notice what he does in verse 32. He says, now look, I'm about to blow your brain, but that's okay. This is a profound mystery. This is going to make you stumble. But what I'm really talking about, what God really did, has something to do with Christ and the church. Now, what's happening here? This is remarkable. Before the rescue of Jesus, indeed, before the rescue was even needed, before sin entered our lives, God created man, woman, and marriage specifically to display the rescue. He created gender and assigned it to each one of us as a foundational element to the redemption story, not as a passing illustration later on. All of this took place before sin was in the world. So what he intends is that through a husband and wife within the context of a marriage, he wants people to, be see, to, to see something about his relationship with us in the church. That through the man is that the world would be able to see something of the incredible love and sacrifice and protection and provision that Jesus Christ gives to us, the church. And that through the woman, that the world would be able to see, literally see a display of the admiration and the respect the desire to follow Jesus Christ in the way that a wife would respond to her husband. You see, this is all significant because it shows us that womanhood is not like a window curtain that we alter each season. If we reduce womanhood to physical features and biological functions and a destination on the path of self-exploration, then we don't just miss the point of our gender. We literally diminish the glory of Jesus Christ in our lives and in the world. Your gender is foundational to the story of redemption. It's not a curtain. It's concrete. He wants to tell the world something through you. And so... The application is very simple. There's two of them. First is this, is as a church family, let's esteem biblical womanhood and marriage as a means to glorify God. 
Marriage between a man and a woman, we read here, is meant to display the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his church. And therefore, manhood and womanhood are no more interchangeable than Christ is interchangeable with his church. And so when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, I realize that I'm not going to go. I'm going to create more questions here than I'm going to answer because I have to get one more point in and I got nine minutes. Okay. But the fact is, is ladies, I'm begging you to remember that when he says, submit your own husbands as to the Lord, I'm begging you to remember that it is Jesus who hung on a cross to rescue you and me. And he is the one who's urging you to display your admiration for him by graciously admiring your husband who is much less deserving. And by doing so, you're not affirming that he is more deserving. You're affirming that Jesus Christ gives grace to those that don't deserve it. And so it tells us something. It shows us something. Of the gospel story that in the end brings glory to Jesus Christ. It all terminates with him. He's the end. All of this is the means. And the second application is for those who are not married. And that's less esteem biblical womanhood in singleness as a means to glorify God. Some of you look at this and you go, wait a minute. The only way through relationships to display and to glorify Jesus is through marriage, then what about me? Well, Paul, he freely celebrated his singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The very guy that wrote Ephesians 5 was not married. And we're told there that why he rejoiced is because he was then able to invest his entire life in bearing witness to the truth that God's family grows by conversion and is more permanent and eternal than marriage. So to my single sisters, I simply say this. If you never marry or if you are simply waiting to marry. If you will gather to yourself the weak and the lonely and spend your life for the gospel and for the building up of Christ's church. And you do this without self-pity. Then we as a church family and the world will see your womanhood shining forth. And Christ will be uniquely glorified because of it. And so not only is there womanhood essential to understanding God, womanhood is essential to glorifying Jesus in the gospel. And there's one other thing I want to show you, and it's from Proverbs 31. And that is that womanhood is essential to pouring God's goodness upon humanity. Womanhood is for the good of all human beings. Now, Proverbs chapter 31 is an acrostic poem. In other words, at the end, he tells us his theme. And that is, this is a woman who fears the Lord. And an acrostic, you know, in fact, some of you received an acrostic on Friday when your child came home from school and the word mom or mother was on the side and your child was supposed to come up with some word, some adjective, some sentence that began with that letter. Magnificent, right? Outstanding. And it kind of goes from there. Well, Proverbs chapter 31 from verse 10 to verse 31 actually tells us different characteristics. Each one beginning with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters. In a creative way, this is what you can look for in someone, a woman that fears the Lord. 
And so you need to understand because it's an acrostic, he's not telling us everything there is to know about a woman. It's not exhaustive. It's simply creative. So let's read it. It says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels and the heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers the field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the staff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself and her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, many of the godly women here at Providence have actually undertook a project, and that is to write a devotion for every single one of these sentences. And you can find these on the women's Facebook page. Okay, That might encourage you because you think, well, you're just a man. What are you going to say to us? Right? Well, there's women who, 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 who can explain these things to you, how they're trying to work these out. But I want to give you two truths that you find in this passage. The first is this is that the fear of God in a woman displays itself in beautifully practical ways. And this is what he's doing here. And the second is this, is that the unique influence of a godly woman in those beautifully practical ways manifests itself in transforming things. Biblical women change things. Dirty things are made clean. Chaos is turned to order. Empty kitchens filled with life and food. Young children are made wise. A cold house is made warm. It's interesting that even when he talks about the husband in relation to the wife, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4 says, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. This is not because she's a decoration, but because she is what makes an average man good and a good man great. She's the distinguishing mark in his life. And what's interesting is that what you see in terms of making things better is that God, most of the time throughout Scripture, He shows us the importance of her role in making things better in the home. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1 says, A wise woman builds her house, and with her own hands a foolish woman tears hers down. Now listen to me really carefully. God tells us in his word that he makes the hands of a woman really strong so that he could place something as valuable as the home in those hands. The home is the building block of culture. And God did not call women to build a home because because he believed that she was unable to do the greater thing. 
God called the woman to build a home because there is no greater thing. And so, so the application for the third, almost out of time, is let's esteem biblical womanhood as a means to enjoy God. You see, God wants us to know him. He wants us to glorify him and he wants us to enjoy him. And in all three of these ways, that's why he created femininity. That's why he created woman. You see, a woman is like a prism that takes in light and then turns it into a ray of colors so that all of those around her can see not her goodness, but the goodness of God. Ladies, you are made for glory, but not a glory that terminates in you. A glory that points us to the goodness and generosity of the glory of Jesus, our King. And when you look at our culture and the tragic rejection that our culture has to all things that God has created with gender and sexuality and personhood, all of this is due to a king problem. Judges 17, 6 says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. So everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Apart from Christ ruling our heart, we get so used to assuming that we're the center of life that we begin to rebuff every notion that doesn't appeal to us or our self-interest. But we're not the center. God spoke us into existence and made us male or female. Gender, your gender was not arbitrarily given and nor is it reversible without obscuring the display and enjoyment of his glory. So ladies, I beg you to fear God And embrace biblical femininity. And for those women who are in this room or outside of it. Who are listening to the voice of God and leaning into him. Amidst the cultural status static. And are yielding your life to Christ. We the men in this body rise up and praise you. And thank you for helping us to see and enjoy the glory of our God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the mercy that you have poured out to all of us in creating womanhood. Thank you for the beauty in it. Thank you for the intentionality of your design. Thank you for the things that we learn about you through women that we might never know or see had you not created women. So God, we honor you. Lord, even as we worship you and singing and taking an offering. God, we pray that you would take this moment as these plates are being passed to help us to think about our life, the women in our life, through the grid of scripture. God, we love you so much and thank you so much for the godly women that you've placed in each of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.